Does it seem like things just don't always go right sometimes? You trip, you fall over stuff, electronics are not going quite right. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Has it ever happened to you? Quite often. You make plans. What's the old phrase? The best laid plans of mice and men. Women's plans always go, seem to go well, according to that. The best laid plans of mice and men never seem to go well. Just when you think you've got it all together, you don't. This morning, we're going to continue in our series of Jesus' bedtime stories. Talking about the parable of the prodigal son. He had a plan. Didn't quite go as expected, did it? Didn't quite go as expected. He thought that he was going to be able to get all he needed from his dad. He thought that he was going to be set for life. And yet, we know the end. Sometimes, those who are bosses, you may have employees that thumb their nose at you, right? You give them instructions and they don't want to do it. Parents, you got kids who say, no, I'm not going to. seems like one of our daughter's favorite phrases is no. I got six of them, so you get to guess which one. And they're going, all of them. Yes, you're right. At, all, at one point in their time, one point in life, all of them, their favorite phrase was, no, I'm not going to do that. Or they've all tried it. I told my mom to shut up one time. One time. I still feel the effects of that one time. She tells me, she says, I don't know what you said. Because my mom's hard to hear. She goes, I didn't know what you said, but I knew it wasn't nice. Unfortunately, we've all had that happen. Fortunately, there's a God there to rescue us from our stupidity. Rescue us from times when we don't quite follow through on our plans. See, so many times we try to do it my way. I try to do it David's way. I make my plans. I try to follow through on my plans for the future. David's way, Dave's way, Drew's way, Jeff's way, Gerald's way. Rather than living our lives the faith way, we try to do it my way. You see, in the prodigal son here did the exact same thing. He had his plans all lined out. He knew how much money was due him. He looked at all of his dad's stuff. He says, I want that. I'm tired of living under my dad's roof. I'm tired of living under my older brother's thumb. Any younger brothers and sisters can attest to that? I'm tired of being subservient to everyone else. I'm tired of the rules, so I'm going to join the military. <laughs> my father-in-law said that. He went and joined the Marines. Hmm. Crazy man. But here in the prodigal son, story of the prodigal son, we have a, a story that goes kind of along like this. This is one of our kids' books. Our bedtime story for today is called Fortunately. I know my kids know this. Anybody else know this story? A few of you? 
Well, I'm going to read you a little bedtime story this morning. It's about a little boy. He gets an invitation to a party. Look at him. He's so happy. Unfortunately, he lives in New York, and the party's in Florida. <laughs> Fortunately, his friend loans him an airplane so he can fly down there. Unfortunately, <laughs> the plane explodes. <laughs> Fortunately, he's got a parachute on. Unfortunately, there's a hole in the parachute. Fortunately, there's a haystack down below. Unfortunately, there's a pitchfork in the haystack. Fortunately, he misses the pitchfork in the haystack. Off to the side he goes. Fortunately, he falls into water. Unfortunately, there's sharks in the water. Fortunately, he knows how to swim. Fortunately, he comes across some land. There's tigers on land. <laughs> so he hides in a cave. Fortunately, he, can, he digs a hole. And he comes up right in the middle of this party that was thrown for him. In life, sometimes we try to make our own plans. Seems like a whole series of unfortunate events, doesn't it? You make your plan, it falls. You make this plan, it fails. You make a plan, it fails. You make a plan. But fortunately, sometimes you come out the other side and it just has worked out. And the story of the prodigal son is just such a story. The story of another little big boy, about 18 years old, goes up to his dad and he says, Dad, give me what's due me. And I don't mean a spanking. I don't mean grounding. I don't mean... A slap in the face. I want my inheritance. And the dad says, okay, I'll give you your inheritance. He goes off. He squanders it. Eventually he has to come to the understanding that he needs his dad. He needs to go back home to his dad. So follow along with me this morning and Luke chapter 15, if you would. We're going to look at this passage this morning. The parable of the prodigal son. Chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, as Jesus talking, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property, the share that's due to me. And he divided the property among them. The selfish young man, you see, he basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. How many of you would be willing to give your child anything if they'd said that? <laughs> uh, you'd be saying, uh, no, you go on back up to your room, you go around the corner, you go get out of my sight. I don't want to talk to you. In fact, the Old Testament talks about that being of this rebellions as a sign of, uh, sin of witchcraft. The father had a right to Stone his son if he'd want to. Nobody would have harbored any bitterness. But instead, the father gave his son one-third of the property of all that he had. See, in, in Jewish culture, the oldest son gets two-thirds. He got a double portion of whatever the, kids, the, other, the other sons got. So me, as the oldest of three sons, I would have gotten two-fifths, and my other brothers would have gotten one-fifth. So the younger son gets one-third 
of whatever is valued at that time. Now, the hearers of the time would have had, they would, they would have looked at that and said, He's stupid. Why would he do that? Why would he go and give up all this stuff to this selfish little brat? He deserves to be beat. He doesn't deserve to be rewarded. He deserves to be beat and sent and tied up and made out to go out to the field and do more work. But yet, the father chose to give him what the son said was due him. Verse 13. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose up in the country, and he began to be in need. Well, duh. <laughs> and so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. He sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. About 18 years old, we don't know exactly how old this young, boy, young man is, 18 years old, no financial management experience, never learned to develop a budget. He took his credit cards and the very, whoa, I got $10,000 in credit, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. I got to pay that back? What? Oh, I mean, I, I can't go and buy a new house on zero money down, zero, and, and think that I'm going to be able to afford a $2,000 mortgage payment on Minimum wage? What? I mean, I can't go and put everything on credit and have to... What? I can't go and pay for all my friends' meals at Olive Garden and Outback and... Oh, man, what am I going to do now? Famine... Jesus didn't deal with the issue of the famine at that point. He was merely pointing out that what the young man was experiencing was beyond his control. And yet this young man unfortunately gets reduced to the most unclean job possible for a Jew. He's forced to go and hire himself out to feed pigs. Anybody ever seen what a pig eats? Oh, my goodness. When we were living in China, we owned a restaurant, as you all know. And every couple of days, a guy would come around with a cart. In the back of the cart was a 50-gallon drum. And all of the leftover food that was left in the restaurant, we'd sell to him, or we'd give it to him. Some restaurants sold it to him. He would dump it in that 50-gallon drum, haul it off to the fields, and sell it to the pig farmers. Yeah, yum. He'd go around to all the Chinese restaurants and get all their leftover food, all their trash, and feed it to the pigs. And this man sitting in the pig sty, looking at the pods that the pigs ate, Wondering, I wonder if I could eat that too. 
obviously whoever he was working for did not provide enough for him to fully fill him. So he was looking at what these unclean animals were eating with longing. Mm, disgusting. He was cut off from a Jewish community at that point. Any financial charity that he could have received as a son of the state was gone because he had chosen to put himself to service with a pig farm. He was unclean as were the pigs unclean. And see, and the people listening to Jesus' story would have thought that was the end of the story. They would have thought, good for him. He deserved what he got. Can you believe what dishonor he gave to his father? He deserves nothing less. He should have honored his father. Kids, you listen to this? This rabbi is telling a good story. Kids, you listen? He should have listened to his father and should have honored and obeyed his father. This is what happens. But as Paul Harvey says, there's a rest of the story. There's a father who's been looking down the road, longing for his son. Look in verse 17. Says, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I want to rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this young man, even he recognized even his father's servants. He recognizes that he didn't have it so bad as an 18-year-old living with his dad. Even his dad's servants had it better off than he did. He had to come to that point in his life where he was willing to humble himself to go back and say, Dad, let me be one of your servants. Just take me back. I, I don't need, I don't need my, my position back as your son. I, I realize now that I've given up whatever right I had to be called your son. Take me back as one of your hired hands. Pay me minimum wage. I don't care. Just take me back. Let me eat because they eat better than him. He was prepared to show true humility. Not just to his dad, but imagine going back and becoming now low man on the totem pole among the servants. Imagine going back and having to look at your brother every day out with his friends and, and their parties and the different things he's doing. And now you're the younger brother, but you no longer have the position of the younger brother. It's going to be even worse off than it was before. He had to learn to humble himself. And that's the first step. See, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Humility, coming to God in humility, recognizing that you are not all you think you are, is the first step. In fact, 50 times in Scripture, God warns against pridefulness. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, 
Pride comes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before a fall. Second Kings, Second Kings 19. Who is it you mocked and blasphemed against? Whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel, Proverbs 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. See, God looks at our prideful spirits. God looked at this young man in his pride. He says, I hate that spirit. I hate that attitude. I didn't read anything here where it says, God hated the person. He says, I hate that sinful spirit within him. That's keeping him from a right relationship with his father. See, the lesson here for, one of the lessons here for us is that we have to first learn humility. You learn it early on in your life. How much easier is it going to go? Kids, how many times do your parents try to teach you humility? Go back to your those of you offended and you said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We have our kids tell us, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and yes, no, ma'am, no, sir. Not as because we want them to be little servants and little Pharisees, but because we're trying to teach them humility early in their life. So when they get older, they can show that proper humility, proper respect to others. And it carries on through the rest of their life as they relate to God as well. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, embraced him, and kissed him. See, his father kept one eye on the horizon. The whole time his son was gone. His father was there watching for his return. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that his son was going to get into trouble. And the father was there watching, waiting for his son to return. And when he saw him a long way off, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, a man of his stature, a man who's wealthy like that, does not run. A man who's a, a landowner like that, who owns property, who owns cattle, and owns sheep, and owns goats, and has all the servants, does not run. He had to hike up his skirt, tuck it in his waistband, and run to his son, forgetting the decorum, forgetting what everyone else was going to be thinking. He saw his son coming, and he ran. He was overjoyed at seeing his son again. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The kid didn't even have shoes on anymore. And put and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Read that again. They began to celebrate. Why? Because the son who was lost has come home again. They began to celebrate. See, there's a principle here. You can never go too far from God. 
and have him not welcome you back into his presence. You can never travel too far away. You may have a make a plan for your life. You say, God, I reject you. I don't want church. I don't want what you've got for me. I'm going to go do my own thing. But you can never go too far from God that he's not there looking for your return. He runs with open arms to embrace you again. And he kisses you and welcomes you back into the family because you were never out of his family to begin with. The son was still a son. Just because the son left does not mean the son automatically had to become a servant when he came back. doesn't mean he lost his sonship. He sent his servants, go get my robe. Go get the robe. And you bring it back, and you put it on his shoulders. The nicest robe, which is probably his own. You put it on his shoulders, and you go get my ring, my signet ring. And you put that signet ring on his hand, signifying once again to everybody around seas, this is my son. This is my son. That ring. With that ring, he could go and he could buy land. He could sell land. He could make sign into contracts because that ring was a symbol of his sonship, a symbol of who his dad was. See, when we get saved as a child of God, we don't get a physical ring, but we get the Holy Spirit's stamp in our heart, in our lives. Holy Spirit comes in. He indwells us. God gives us His Holy Spirit so that we are known now as the Son of God. Not the Son of God like Jesus. We are known as sons and daughters of God. And He is our Heavenly Father. You are now a part of the family of God. And you cannot lose that family. Period. You may walk away. You may decide you're going to do your own thing for a short time. God's there looking, waiting for you to return, waiting for you to come back. And when you come back, what happens? The celebration begins. God runs up and he kisses you, embraces you, throws a robe on your, on your shoulders, puts the ring back on your hand, and he kills the calf. Back in that time, a calf was enough to feed the whole town. That's a huge feast. That's not just a buffet at the Golden Corral or at the Chinese restaurant. We're talking about feeding the whole town. Everybody come. My son is returned. There's a celebration to rejoice. The celebration begins. Imagine what would happen in your neighborhood. people began to understand the love of Christ and what it truly means to follow God. You know, there are a lot of people in your neighborhoods where you live that have gone to church, maybe made a profession of faith, lived their lives, gone to Sunday school, gone to VBS. We just had a bunch of kids here from Vacation Bible School. They made decisions for Christ at some point, wandered away. And God has placed you in that neighborhood, next to that neighbor, 
or to go to a, an outing with a bunch of sh people with guns to be a light. He sends you to a job with people there that I'm never going to meet so that you can be a light to them. So you can show them with your life what kind of God we serve. I mean, I don't read God's judgment. Of course, that young man had to humble himself. He had to come to that point where he said, I messed up. I royally messed up. I need to come back to my Father, my Heavenly Father, and ask forgiveness and say, God, it's me again. It's me again. I, I messed up. I screwed up again. Can you welcome me back in just as one of your servants? I don't need the same position I had before. And God says, you come on back in here. You've asked forgiveness. You've humbled yourself. See, we serve a God whose heart is massive. Think of the story of the Grinch. You know, after the Grinch, he, he went up there and climbed the top of the mountain and he dumped it all, lifted up the sled, and Dr. Seuss said his heart grew three times the size or whatever it was. That's minuscule compared to the heart size of God's God. That's infinitesimal. God's heart is huge. If he can take all the sins of the world on his shoulders, he can welcome us back into his home. He can welcome us back into his family because we never really left. He's just been waiting for us to come back. See, the story of the prodigal son is about God's grace and God's mercy. We've been talking about the buried treasure and how the man went out and he sold all he had to buy that field where the buried treasure was because he, he recognized the value of the kingdom. He, the man went out, he saw the pearl of great price, and he sold everything because that pearl, the kingdom of heaven, was so valuable he was going to do whatever it took to get it. Then we talked about how God did whatever it took to redeem us back to himself. The lost coin. Searching and searching and doing whatever it took to find that coin again. To do whatever it took to redeem us back to himself. And then we got the story of this lost boy, the lost son, the prodigal son, who recognized what his father really, truly meant to him. And even though he had wandered away from the fold, even though he had wandered away from God, even though he chose to go his own way from time to time, God was always there with open arms, ready to welcome him back home. As soon as he humbled himself. The story of the prodigal son is all about God's grace, God's mercy, Imagine what would it be like in your neighborhood. If those in your neighborhood recognized the grace and mercy of God. Imagine what would happen in your neighborhood if you took on for yourself the job of ministering personally to your neighbors. Think of somebody on your street right now that you know is struggling 
Think of somebody on your street right now that needs the grace and mercy of God in their life. Last week we talked about 10 minutes in God's word, 10 minutes on your knees, and sharing your faith once a week with somebody. That person on your street is waiting for you. See, unfortunately, there are people all around us who are hurting every single day. There are people all around us who are struggling in their marriages. They're struggling with their children. They're struggling in their jobs. They're struggling with finances. Unfortunately, that's the way life lives. Fortunately, God sent you. Fortunately, there's a child of God in that neighborhood. There's a child of God living right next door. There's a child of God two doors down. There's a child of God three doors down. That child of God may be you that God is sending. Somebody who needs an encouraging touch. Maybe you don't live in a street. Maybe you live in a retirement center. Retirement center. There are people hurting all around us. And God has sent you. So this week, your job. 10, 10, 1. 10 minutes in the, in the Word. 10 minutes on your knees. Go and begin to open a relationship with that person who's his picture or their name is in your mind. So that you can become the hands and feet of God to bring somebody back into the family of God. For the very first time, or bring them back again. Or bring them back again. And it doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter what lifestyle they've lived. doesn't matter what sins they've committed. God is their judge. Let it be between them and God. Let them come. You just share the grace and mercy of God. And let God do it in us. Pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord of all. You are the God of all creation. Father God, you have redeemed us. You have sent us into the world to be light and truth. You have sent us into the world, Father God, to redeem, not to redeem, but to be your hands and feet to those who need it. And Lord, right now I pray for the names, the faces that are on our mind's eye. That those who have maybe at one point in our neighborhoods have been to church. At one point, they were involved in youth group. At one point, they were involved in children's ministry. At one point, they were involved in doing something. And yet, they've walked away. Lord, you are sending us into that midst. And Lord, maybe this morning here in this auditorium, There may be someone here that have wandered away as well. Right now, we're just going through the motions. We come on Sunday morning. We have a good smile on our face. 
Everyone's convinced that we're okay. Lord, but you know our hearts. Lord, for that person this morning who has wandered away from you, show them and convince them of your love and your grace and your mercy and how you are longing to welcome them back into your family. You're waiting to run. You're looking. Your eye is on the horizon to come back. Father God, this morning, convict our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing this morning. Final song of invitation. Go ahead and stand. Falling on my knees.